The Bible reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23, all things to all people. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. You know, the Australian Baptist movement really does have a rich history in global mission. It was back in 1884 that these five women, the first Australian Baptist missionaries, left our shores for distant India. They became known as the Five Barley Loaves, named from the commissioning service where the preacher used the story of the five loaves and two fish to to liken them to the need in india so little amongst so much he said but god will bring the increase from these pioneering women over a thousand australian baptists have served in distant countries and hundreds of thousands maybe more have come to know jesus as a result the place Susie and I are preparing to go, South Asia, was one of the first fields for Australian Baptists. And it's a good story. As a result of our work there, two Baptist faith movements have been started, one amongst a, a tribal minority group in the region and the other amongst mainly Hindu background people. Over 600 churches have been started as a result of our work there. So it's a, it's a really good story. But it hasn't all been as simple and as straightforward as that. Back in the mid-1970s, the, the Baptist Mission, then known as ABMS, or the Australian Baptist Missionary Society, faced something of a crisis in South Asia. You see, despite all the great successes amongst some of the minority people groups, in South Asia, the mission had to face the fact that in close to 100 years of work in the region, the majority Muslim people group, which had grown to around 90% of the population, remained virtually unreached with the gospel. Yes, there were a, a few uh, Muslim believers, but there were no churches which had emerged amongst uh, this majority people and no sustainable movement to show for all of our work there. And so the, que the question really was, well, what do we do? What would be required to unlock the hearts of millions of people, people like this guy, who appeared resistant to all attempts to share the good news of Jesus? You know, the book of 1 Corinthians was written to the church at Corinth in about AD 53. Paul the Apostle had started this church some three years previously. 
But I then received the news that things weren't going so well in Corinth. So he writes this letter actually mainly to address some issues that had cropped up in the Corinthian church. There'd been some leadership factions, there'd been sexual immorality in the church, there'd been the debate over how we express spiritual gifts. One of the issues Paul had to deal with was how we as believers should use our freedom in Jesus. And specifically, this had arisen around the subject of food, of all things. You see, there were some Corinthian believers who were buying and eating meat from local markets, which had previously been offered to idols in pagan worship. But while these believers argued that it was it was fine to eat this meat in their opinion, idols have no power over the meat, there were other younger believers who, when they saw this, thought that it must be okay uh, for followers of Jesus to also worship other gods. And as a result, they were being led astray. Well, Paul's vision for the Corinthian church was of a vibrant, healthy community. A community which was united despite some of its cultural differences and which was reaching out to the community around it with the good news of Jesus. Now, in order to see this vision fulfilled of a vibrant and healthy community, Paul's basic argument is that we need to be unselfish in how we live out our faith, laying aside our own preferences for the benefit of others, that they may come to know Jesus and grow in their faith. And in the verses that Suze read to us earlier, Paul sets out his own life as an example of that. Though I am free, he says, and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things, he says, to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. You know, Paul had an amazing heart, an amazing capacity for sharing the good news of Jesus. And as I look at these verses today, I just want to highlight two elements of Paul's way of life and faith, which have also been important in our work amongst the majority people in South Asia since the mid-1970s. But not only this, I believe these things are also critical if we are to see vibrant, healthy communities, which are growing, emerge right here in our context here in Australia. So two elements of Paul's way of life. Firstly, a consideration of culture. Paul writes, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. You see, the church at Corinth was set in a multicultural context with both Greek and Jewish people living together in that city. Now, Paul believed that the good news of Jesus 
was for all people. But he also understood the importance of culture in how we as human beings relate to one another. What does it look like to communicate the good news of Jesus to someone from another culture? We'll have a look at this video. Overseas Mission, a guide to saving sinners. So, you're going to a foreign country to start a church. What a great idea. You'll need to pack the essentials. Some contemporary worship CDs and an acoustic guitar are a good start. The last thing you want is the local musical instruments destroying your worship to God. You can throw away that bilingual dictionary as you'll be forcing the locals to speak and read in God's language, English. Next, we'll definitely need some cutlery, as people in many strange countries eat with their hands. And we all know that that is wrong. A lot of the women overseas wear hot and cumbersome garbs, so some sensible dresses are a must. So there we have it, empowering communities to develop their own distinctive ways of following Western Christianity. Now I hope you picked up that that video is meant to be ironic. Global Interaction's motto is not empowering communities to develop their own distinctive ways of following Western Christianity, but empowering communities to develop their own distinctive ways of following Jesus. Now, this statement is really important to us because it recognizes that following Jesus is not bound up with any one culture and that one does not need to leave their cultural background behind to follow Jesus. So let's return to our crisis in the 1970s amongst, amongst the bee people of South Asia, who we'd been unable to reach with more traditional mission methods. What did we do? Well, Global Interaction's general director at this time, J.D. Williams, had been wrestling um, over this crisis in prayer for some time. And finally, he had a breakthrough, and you can read about it in the book called From Five Barley Loaves, named after these women. Um, and I've got a quote here for you now. He heard a clear word of God. This is J.D. Williams. It was a call to evangelism and to the majority population. Williams encouraged the staff to experiment with different approaches. You see, we based our work in mission compounds to this point, building hospitals, schools and, and churches and the like. Well, Williams encouraged uh, the staff to move out of the mission compounds and to live in the towns amongst the people. One of the early decisions taken by couples was to adopt a lifestyle that was compatible with their contacts. No pork was cooked in their kitchens. Instead, they handed over hams from food parcels to the guest house in the capital. They entertained in suitable style with dishes of the accepted order. The wives did not answer the door to men callers and walked several paces behind their husband if they went into town. Can you imagine that? They worked hard on cultural language and even more on the religious language of the community. Now, these steps may sound fairly basic to us today, but at the time in the 1970s, they were, they were quite radical. And out of this, Global Interaction's approach to mission has emerged. 
You know, today in South Asia, there are thousands of bee believers, but they don't meet in churches on a Sunday like we might usually. In fact, they don't even call themselves Christian. That word um, has some baggage in uh, a lot of Muslim countries. They call themselves followers of Jesus and they meet together in homes or offices like this one, often every day to read the scriptures together and to pray. And Susan and I have had the privilege of, of meeting with many of our, our believers there in South Asia. Well, how does this apply to us here at Kilsyth South Baptist Church today? Well, of course, culture is not simply about ethnicity or people groups. Culture relates to all kinds of things, including the generation we belong to, how we think, what we value. Do you think churches have their own cultures? Of course they do. Are we willing to let go of some of our rights, our ways of doing things, our ways of being church in order to reach those outside? I wonder, is there a compound that we need to leave here in Australia today? How far are we willing to go to build a bridge for the gospel? I have become all things to all people, Paul says, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Culture. Paul understood that if we are to build vibrant, healthy communities of faith that are growing, we need to consider the culture of those we are called to be amongst. Secondly, he understood the importance of love. And actually, I'd argue that it's on the basis of love that a consideration of culture actually stands. And so Paul says here, I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. What is Christ's law? The law of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And it's on the basis of love that Paul, as he writes here, makes himself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. You know, Paul knew something about the power of love and its capacity to see vibrant, healthy communities emerge, even amongst those who were previously resistant to the gospel. And perhaps one of the best examples of this was the man who co-authored this letter to the church at Corinth. The first verse of 1 Corinthians opens like this. Paul, it says, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. I wonder how many of you have heard of Sosthenes who wrote 1 Corinthians with Paul. He's actually only mentioned here in the first verse of Corinthians and one other place in the Bible. The other place we find Sosthenes named is in Acts chapter 18 when Paul is in Corinth some three years earlier. But if you go to that passage, Acts 18, you find that Sosthenes at this time is far from being a friend of Paul. 
and he's far from being open to the gospel. In fact, Sosthenes, as the synagogue leader in Corinth, leads an attack on Paul and has him brought into court. Paul had been preaching about Jesus in Corinth. And Sosthenes and his fellow Jews are unhappy about this. Verse 13, this man, they accuse, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the Jewish law. The Roman governor Gallio, however, dismisses the case and has Sosthenes and his fellow accusers dismissed from the court. Then we read in verse 17 that they, that's Sosthenes' fellow Jews, all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatever. So here we have this man Sosthenes, an opponent of Paul, beaten and humiliated by his own people before a Roman court. I wonder what did it take for Sosthenes, this man who had been so resistant to the gospel, to open his heart and eventually become the co-author of 1 Corinthians and the man who Paul refers to as our brother Sosthenes. Well, although it's not explained, it's not too hard to imagine that after being rejected and beaten by his own people, ignored and humiliated by the Roman governor Gallio, that it was the followers of Jesus in Corinth who came in and cared for this man, dressed his wounds, showed him kindness and restored him to health. And perhaps it's not too hard to imagine that as they showed this man compassion, that they also shared with him the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, who had transformed their lives and could also transform his you see, love has an incredible capacity to break down barriers and to open people's hearts to the one who is the source of all love, Jesus Christ. In fact, I would hazard a guess that for most of you who are listening here today, it was an experience of love, perhaps a friend, perhaps a, a family member or a neighbour, which first opened your heart to the good news of Jesus, because love has an incredible capacity to break down barriers and open hearts to the good news of Jesus. You know, amongst the bee people of South Asia, poverty is a very common part of life. Our current work is, is through a community development organisation that we established there uh, just over 25 years ago. We have over 120 local B staff working to alleviate poverty and to make a difference in the lives of ordinary B people. Recently, I heard the story of a young lady called Sadia. Sadia, 20 years old, came to one of our vision centers with terrible pain in her eyes just a couple of months ago. She'd come from an extremely poor family who had married her off at age eight to a rickshaw driver of 22 years. Now that may shock us here, but it's, it's actually quite common. Well, this man began to beat Sadia when she as an eight-year-old child couldn't meet his needs. After years of having her cries for help ignored, Sadia's family eventually took her 
to an eye hospital in the capital where the doctors diagnosed glaucoma due to the beatings she'd received. Her husband refused to pay for any treatment and quickly divorced her. Well, in desperation, Sadia presented to our vision clinic just a couple of months ago where she met Cynthia, one of our optometrists who is a follower of Jesus. And it's here that Sadia's story has started to take a turn. Showing uncommon love, Cynthia has cared and advocated for this young lady and seen that she gets the treatment that she needs. Now, unfortunately, and this is the sad part, Sadia's vision couldn't be saved. But at least she is now free from her pain and has a community around her to make sure she gets all the support she needs to live with impaired vision. And just perhaps this may be, be the beginning of a spiritual journey for Sadia as well. You know, every day our organisation works amongst some 20,000 people like Sadia showing uncommon love. And alongside this work, the good news is shared and people having experienced God's love are coming to know Jesus. We are seeing just the beginnings, we hope of a network of believers emerging amongst the bee people. You see, love has an incredible capacity to break down barriers and see vibrant communities of faith emerge. You know, I believe this is what Paul imagined for the church at Corinth, a vibrant community of believers who are growing and transforming the community around them. And I believe it's what God would desire for his church today too. Well, just in conclusion, let me leave you with a couple of questions. Firstly, what might you contribute to help make Kilsyth South Baptist Church the vibrant community of faith that God intends it to be? What does it mean for you to set aside some of your own preferences? in order to help others come to know Jesus and to grow in him. How can you practically show love to someone today? And secondly, how might you contribute to seeing vibrant communities of faith emerge amongst people like the bee people? You see, we all have a part to play in global mission. For many of you, that may be simply praying and giving to support the work. And if that's your part, I want to encourage you in that. It's a really important part of the work. But for some of you, like us, maybe God is calling you to go and have a more direct role. You know, we are looking for people who will join us in this work. So if that is something you would consider, and if, if you'd like to explore that, we'd love to talk with you more. Well, thanks for having us with you today. Uh, we'll look forward to sharing with you in person, hopefully next time. And we'll look forward to catching up with some of you in the Zoom session afterwards as well. Thank you.